Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everybody. It is my pleasure to introduce our guest for today, Dimitri. He is the son of Ariella Sarai, who was on the show last week and the week before. She had been talking about her experiences in a group called Avatar and talked also about having a child and bringing him into the group and what it was like for him and also what it was like for her to not be able to really spend time with her son and how only after leaving were they able to kind of hang out as mother and son in the way that they really wanted. And I thought how nice of an opportunity it would be to interview Dimitri, who actually contacted me and said, hey, would you like to find out about what it's like from my perspective, from the perspective of the person who was raised in a particular group? It is very nice to be able to have him on the show and you get to hear what it's like from the other side. A lot of people talk about their kids in these kinds of situations or having had kids, but we don't often get to hear from the kids themselves. Here is Dimitri. everyone. I want to welcome Dimitri to the show today. And Dimitri has the special distinction of being the son of one of the guests of the podcast, Ariella Sarai. And I'm sure that there are other things that he's known for as well in his own life. So Dimitri, take it away. Give us a little intro on you. Sure. Uh, well, my name is Dimitri. I'm uh, 24 years old. I don't really know where to begin. Um, I'm a college dropout, left school to, well, for a few reasons, but um, in part to support my mother when she was going through a tough time, also to kind of pursue um, my own company. I've always had big dreams, so I left left school, and now we can get more into that later. But So got my real estate license, um, did that for about two years, and through that, I actually met a client who brought me into a job in finance. And I started making really good money. So I did that 12-hour days, just worked my butt off for another two years, and then left to go to school for design. And now I'm pursuing art, which is my passion. That's wonderful. What kind of art? So I do um, paintings and graphic design as well, so 3D art. That's great. Yeah. That's really great. I play guitar as well. So, I mean, I'm just pursuing my creative hobbies now, Mm -hmm. which is amazing that I get to do that. Yeah, it's a very nice thing. Very nice. It's a dream. So I think, you know, what is so interesting about your story, I think for our listeners, is that sometimes when people talk about their experience within a group that they consider to be controlling and cultish, and they talk about having had a child while they were there or bringing a child into it, we rarely get to hear from the children themselves. And Right. And, and so it's a whole other perspective. And there have been a couple of father-daughter, mother-daughter kind of groupings on the show and where they talked about their experiences. Um, but I think your story is so important because of how many years and how much time you spent within a particular group that was not of your choosing. And so I'm wondering, of course, about the after effects of that, how it impacted your relationship with your mother and I think with other people too, because cults have their own kind of constructs around social behavior and how people should interact with each other and how much and et cetera. But if you can kind of give us a sense, kind of a day in the life from what you remember, I guess at different ages, what were your experiences like generally being raised in this? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's interesting because I guess I, I sort of have this dichotomy with, within myself where there's this very, I guess, strict belief system that was 
just the normal part of my life. So it wasn't necessarily something that I, uh, well, when I was young, so let's say up until about maybe 14, it was just the normal part of my life. I never thought twice. I didn't even think that this is what all the kids did. I just didn't think about it. You know what I mean? It was just like living my life and, and this is the way it was. But as I, as I got older and I started to get caught up more with my friends and, and wanting to go out and not being able to go with my mother due to a nine day course, you know, and, and having things that perhaps I, you know, wanted my mother there for when she, she was away, you know, I, as I got to that age where I could start to kind of internalize and, and uh, think about these things, I started to immediately question. So to answer sort of one of your, your questions you asked, a day in the life, it's tough to get into just because everything was different, whether my mom was away or here. I mean, there was just all these different factors. But something that I think is important is it, when my mom left and, you know, after that, that, after she kind of made the decision she's out, the emotions I felt was just proud of her because I've always approached Avatar from a sense of, there might be something good within there. There might be some good knowledge, but I never took it on to the level that she did. Nothing close. You know, I was always sort of once removed from it. So, I, you know, it wasn't this, you know, earth shattering thing for me. But as I look back, it explains a lot. And I think that's the most important thing is it explains a lot of the things that I always wondered. Why are things this way within my life? Okay, I most definitely want to get into that. So hold hold that thought for a moment. Um, if you can give me kind of the chronology, were you were you born into it? Were you brought into it at a certain age? And then at what point you're saying around 14, your mom was thinking about leaving? And so... Well, she wasn't quite thinking about leaving. It was just that's when I started to question it. Ah, got it. So yeah. So I basically, when I was two, my, my parents got divorced. So I was young, barely remember it. You know, again, it's one of those things where it was just normal to me. You know, my dad would see me every other weekend and I lived with my mom and now it's just my life, you know, and it was great. Like they're both, they've both been there for me when I was little, you know, they would kind of maintain a, a very close relationship with me, both of them. When I started to get a little older, about four, six area, maybe eight, my mom started to, the best way I can describe it is I just remember her not being as, I guess, happy is the, is the only way I could describe it. There really is no words necessarily because I was so young, so I didn't understand the emotions of it. But I just remember something shifted a little and then she found Avatar. So I remember going with her and I must have been, yeah, like maybe couldn't have been more than six, six years old, eight years old. And uh, she brought me with her to, to her first course. And I actually remember the energy in the room was great. Like, I remember something about it where I just saw her light up and everyone was really nice to me. And so I just remember it being a good overall experience when I was little. It just seemed like a lot of really friendly people, you know, and I was young, so I didn't quite get the implications. Right. And I'm wondering, were there other kids there as well? Um, yeah, I believe so. You know, I don't remember too much of, of that age. I, so basically from that point on, my mom started to get more into it, I, I, you know, slowly at first, but then she started to really ramp up her, you know, her com uh, commitment to the course. And with that, I would go with her because, you know, I was young and, and she wanted to take me. So I would go with her. And at first I would um, be in babysitting. So I would go to these courses and be with a bunch of other kids of parents who are at the course. And as I got older, I believe around nine or 10, I took the course for the first time. Wow. Okay. So you saw a change in your mom. You saw her become happier. You remember the energy in the room, which is, it's interesting. And I want to hear about your experience taking your first course, of course. But I, I think it's so interesting because we talk a lot about on this show about the fervor, the excitement, the adrenaline, the passion, the thing that really feels like a high and that that is so much a part of what is the draw. And I think also maintains people's connection to it even after they're exhausted because of all of the responsibilities they have to the group. I think that's the only thing that probably keeps their energy level up, that they get pumped up again like that. Yeah, the draw is interesting because even, even as a little child, like because I couldn't put words to these feelings, but I just knew, you know, it's just something innate within you that's like, there's an energy here that's not elsewhere. And I think 
that in itself can be a very powerful draw, especially for, for people who are vulnerable, you know? Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. So before we get to the realizations, tell me about your first class experience. What was it called? How many people were there? How long was it? You know, go ahead. Yeah. So what I remember is my mom was really proud. And so part of me didn't want to read a huge book like this thick with all these very abstract intellectual concepts on the mind and beliefs. And because, you know, I was like nine or 10 years old. So, so I couldn't grasp all of it, but I saw the way that my mom was and I saw the way that other people were in the room with me. So people were coming up to me like, I can't believe how lucky you are to understand these materials at your age. If only I had these teachings at your age, I would be so successful. And multiple people, multiple times would come up to me and say how lucky I am. And I think part of that was because my mom was so good at her job. Like she was damn good, you know, Mm -hmm. she was really good. So people would look at me and say, you're lucky to have your mom the way she is. You're lucky to have her. You're lucky to have these tools, these materials. So for me, it was, it was a good feeling to take that course because of all the praise that I was getting. And I understood some of the things that I was being taught. My mom would explain them to me in, you know, kid terms, but I couldn't quite grasp it to the level that I think other people assumed I could. Yeah. I mean, some of it is not graspable. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, there there is this sort of interesting mm, mystique around things that are hard to understand. People think they are of a higher intellectual or spiritual level when it could be that they just don't make sense. And so, but that's not an option. So I think you need to find a way to make it make sense to you a lot of the time. It doesn't always though. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that because I had that experience so early on, I think that a lot of a lot of me going back and and because I've taken the course many times. Like from you know, for me that I started at like nine or ten and then my mom would go back basically at this point, she was probably going at least once every two months. Then it came to like once a month, and then it was just all the time. So I would go with her three, four times a year, and I would take the course every time now. I would not, you know, I wouldn't be in babysitting anymore. And then after that, shortly after, I actually took the master's course and got my license to then teach, which was really interesting because I was yeah, 12 years old or something at the time, and I was taking other kids through the course. Wow, at age 12? Yeah, with guidance of an adult and stuff. But yeah, like I was, I was licensed to to teach, you know? (laughs) Wow. Did you feel good? Was that overwhelming? Did you feel qualified? What, what was it like for you? Honestly, to be completely honest at at the time, it felt good. I felt, cause you know, I was the type of kid that like, I wanted to be an adult. I wanted to grow up. You know what I mean? I wanted to not feel like a kid. I wanted to do all the adult things. And so the fact that I was able to do that made me feel really good. It made me feel like I was a part of the adult world, you know? Yeah, but looking back, I kind of see like how underqualified that was. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think we do, you know, when we look back and we we think at a certain time in our lives that we were all that and we so we're not. Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's okay. You know, those are sort of confidence builders and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but just if you can kind of imagine or go back to what you were teaching, if I were another kid in the program, what would you be teaching me? So essentially we'd be running through like a course book. And so it would be just a variety of exercises and guided readings and things like that. Um, I believe the material is like copyright and stuff. So I can't get to like the specific uh, specifics of the ex- exercises because, you know, the license and all that. Right. But Basically, it was step-by-step things that you would do. Something simple, you know, something that is repetitive, meditation-like, you know, affirmations, things like that. And it was set up and structured in such a way that enabled you, similar to Scientology, enabled you to first find a problem, whether it's there or not. You know, you'd find a problem, something that you're not happy with, and then you'd really dig deep into that. And 
there can be some benefits to attacking your problems, right? Like burying shit down is not good, but this was definitely at a deeper level than anything else that I experienced. And so it was emotional, you know? Very. And I think also, you know, with young kids, normally they don't have a chance to talk about their emotions. And one of the things that's, that is actually very hard when, when kids haven't learned the language of emotion or delving, they have difficult adult lives. And um, I actually, I'm remembering having nothing to do with anything except for this one thing about having the language of emotions. Well, when, when my kids were in preschool, they had a whole poster of emotion. So they had different faces and the, the expression on the face matched the word underneath, but they had really sophisticated emotions, but they wanted them to become familiar with uh, the wording. So I remember like a little kid, whomever, I'll make up a name, Clara would walk in and they'd say, Clara, how are you feeling today? And she'd point and they'd say, Clara's feeling betrayed today. <laughs> it's like, yes, I am. Like, what? Why? She just walked in, right? It was really funny. But I mean, the, and I, the teachers afterwards, I said, well, mm, really? That's pretty heavy duty. They said, we just want them to understand what it means. So if it happens that a friend takes something of hers, she can say, I felt betrayed. Like, she'll know what that's about. I do agree. I think it's important to understand emotions 100%. And like, it definitely helped me, not going to lie, like helped me in the relationship department for sure, you know, like mm-hmm. especially in mm-hmm. high school when a lot of guys don't understand what they're feeling or how to even talk to a girl about anything emotional. I excelled because I had this deep, deep understanding. Let me, understanding may not be the right word, but I had this deep knowledge of my own feelings. So whether or not I can say I understood my feelings, I don't know. Because I don't think I quite did, but at least talk about. <laughs> yeah. So right. So that's the next part that I was going to say that that you know when you were talking about with Scientology, you know people need to find what's wrong and find their problem. Sometimes they can be um, guided incorrectly, and then build a whole kind of persona around that, or a discussion around that, or a feeling around that. Mm, and so sometimes people do get comfortable with their emotions and talking about them, but they just might not be right. So I think it is true. A lot of people might not still have an, a, a true understanding, even if they have the language. So here, so you're, you're a teacher at 12. Then what happened after that? So after that, I, uh, I was getting older and, you know, I was still going to courses because I, I liked, you know, I had, a, by this point, I had a group of friends there, right? So it was a lot of the other parents who had kids around my age. And so we were all going to courses. And so I would want to go and see my friends. And for me, largely, it was a mix of I enjoyed the way that people treated me when I was there, because I was like this wonder kid, you know, like I was this young guy teaching and like, my mom was who she was. And so I felt like I felt special there, you know, and then that mixed with me being able to escape school for a week and go hang out with all my friends. I really liked going at least for the next couple years, I would say probably till about that 14 age. Then I don't know if it was high school that I started. I don't know what the trigger was, but I remember going to a course and things shifted for me where I started to, for the first time, really look at things on a more real level and say like, okay, here's some things that I don't like. Here's some things that I feel aren't right. And I voiced those to my mom, which was pretty terrifying. And my mom, I believe, brought me to speak with like uh, higher up, you know, one of like the, the boss ladies. And uh, the reaction was very different than I expected. Oh, interesting. Okay. So first the boss lady who you're talking about, she's someone who you were familiar with? Absolutely. Yeah. So like basically everyone there I was, I was close with, because at this point I've been going for six years, you know, and, and like I kind of grew up going there four times a year, you know, for like nine days. And so I was close with these people for sure, you know? Right. Okay. So that does set the stage because then if these are people that you've known for a long time and they know you well. Like I told, you know, because imagine me going through all these exercises that are talking all about these deep, heavy, emotional things. 
I'm basically learning how to process my emotions around me, you know, with these people. And so, yeah, I was very comfortable and very close with, and, and yeah, I, I saw a different side, I guess that, that day. Yeah. So let's talk about what you saw. It sounds like it, it really made an impact on you. Basically I got in trouble for extending my lunch by about 30 minutes. And when I say in trouble, I mean somebody, not my mother, but somebody came and talked to me. Somebody else came and talked to me and said, hey, you really have to be back in the course room as soon as lunch finishes. And so I kind of voiced my concern and said, well, look, I'm volunteering to do this. I'm actually, you know, paying to do this. And so if I want to extend my lunch for 30 minutes, because I, I was talking to my dad on the phone, you know, my parents are divorced. And so I was talking to my dad and, and somebody was getting mad at that. So I, I was not cool with that. I didn't, you know, I was like, look, I, if I want to be in the room, I'll, I'll come back in the room, you know, as soon as I'm ready. But if I'm going to, if my dad's calling me, I'm going to talk to him and, and that's it. So I voiced that concern and they told me this whole, it was very, I guess gaslighting is the right way to put it. But I remember uh, this boss lady, she, she, uh, she basically told me how disrespectful and how it's irreverent for the tools. And she went on this thing about how I must have a transgression that is not let, you know, that's preventing me from being honest with why I'm not wanting to use these tools. It was almost like you're, you're choosing to avoid them because you do not, you don't want to go deeper into your own mind. I was like, no, I just wanted to talk to my dad. (laughs) That's when I first started to see that something was off. And so for me, like I got upset. I didn't get upset because, because of what they were saying, because I, I knew it wasn't right, but it was more so that I just felt helpless. You know, I felt like I, I felt like I didn't have any power because my mom was on their side. And so that was the hardest thing for me was, you know, it's, it's not that my mom, like my mom was always there for me, but I think that she was so clouded by them as well that she started to believe what they were saying. And so she genuinely thought that I was trying to avoid personal responsibility. She genuinely believed that. And I don't alter for it because I know it was completely real for her. She wasn't just being mean or being unfair. She truly believed it and wanted to help me, uh, you know, get to the next level or something. So it was weird because I could see her fully believing this and coming from a good place. Meanwhile, I'm completely helpless because no matter how much I try to explain, I just wanted to stay on the phone. They just wouldn't get that. And I'm like, how do you guys not get it? Like, it's the simplest thing. Like, it, you know, it's weird. It's really weird. When you look at it in that way where you think, you know, you were talking to your father and that doesn't seem to matter, it sends this message, I think, about the group being more important than family relationships, uh, any relationships really, and that your need to act with integrity, you know, and keep up with whatever responsibility you've agreed to, that that's what matters. It's almost like the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And I think also the word irreverent. So it was disrespectful and irreverent is so interesting as though it's something spiritual. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. They thought these tools were a gift from creator, you know, of avatar. And and they definitely set it up as though we were all the lucky ones because we had access to these tools. And keep in mind, that was something that was reaffirmed to me since I started because people would tell me that all the time. You're so lucky you're getting this at such a young age. You're so lucky. You're so lucky. So I had this, you know, that brings up that that dichotomy I was talking about earlier where I had this thing where I, you know, internally, I, I truly believe that there were good aspects to it. And I still do to this day. I, I really do. I believe that the, that the tools themselves, some of the content within there can genuinely help people. But I think that there's a lot of bad around the way that that is impl- that those tools are, are taught and implemented. And I think that for me, like, yeah, that experience was eye-opening. And what it did for me is it really just, it just opened my mind to just start questioning, you know? And, I, and from then on, I always questioned, which just made things harder for me. Right. Okay. So was there anybody, when you had these questions, was there anybody to talk to or did everyone just sort of approach them in the same way that kind of 
trying to dispel your feeling? I mean, I remember there were a few few people who who I could talk to, and they would just listen. And and they were there were some people there that, yeah, I think that you know I was young, and they they understood that I just probably you know didn't get it. And for the most part, though, they would want to that people would want to try to get me to see it their way. The only people I could really talk to about it were the other people my age, you know, the other kids my age. And I remember talking to them about it often. And, you know, some of them felt the same way. However, that would always result in both of us going up and, and having a conversation. Yeah. So it was very, you know, I would I would still do it. I remember like at that point I, I would get in trouble pretty often. I would get called up to speak with like the higher ups there because of me questioning things and talking to other kids about it and stuff. So I remember they they definitely didn't like that. And looking back, I could see why. And so, you know, they they didn't want that type of thing to, to you know, they wanted to nip it in the bud, you know? Right. And so then this idea of nipping it in the bud, I mean, you know, I, I always find that so ironic that here, this is uh, something that is spiritually driven. It came from on high, you know, which does often happen within religious frameworks and then people feel that they can't question the teachings. But the irony to me is that in these groups, it's I think it's supposed to be about personal development and, you know, having eye-opening experiences. And here you're opening your eyes, you're engaging your critical thinking, and that just gets slammed down. And so I'm wondering if there was a way at the time that you tried to make sense of that, that maybe you were wrong for having these questions? I mean, what, what did you do with it? To be completely honest with you, and this is kind of hard, it's, you know, it's hard, it's hard to talk about, but frankly, I didn't really care when the higher ups would say these things to me, but when my mother, when, when she wouldn't believe me and, you know, when I would try to explain that, no, it's just this simple thing. It's not, about the respect or you know the the irreverence like for me it's none of that like I respect what you're doing I respect the tools I just wanted to go out and talk to my dad or whatever it may be even if it was I just wanted to take an extra 30 minutes like you know even if I was in the wrong even if it would be wanting to watch tv for 30 minutes I still don't like the way that they turned it into something way more than it is and that was what I always wished my mother could understand and that was the hardest thing for me was having to go through that. And that translated to other areas in my life. Like, for instance, if my mom wanted me to do the dishes, you know, and, and I didn't do it because I was lazy, it would then become, OK, well, what is behind it? Why didn't you do the dishes? You know, and there would be some sort of disrespect behind it or some sort of this. And I'm like, it was just lazy. Like, I'm a teenager. Like, I'm sorry. You know, but whatever it may be, like. That was that was the really the hardest thing. And my mom since has like realized that. And I'm so amazed and so glad that she has. Because that was the hardest thing for me to, as a child. Yeah. I, I think it is very hard when you feel that you're disappointing a parent who you're so close to. You also want to look good in their eyes and and have them be proud of you. What's head spinning that you I think talked about just now with not doing the dishes is that sometimes there is no reason and sometimes things just happen and sometimes you just didn't get it done. And sometimes you were watching TV and, or fell asleep or whatever, or being a kid who, with a distractible mind, which is normal. And I don't know a kid who jumps at doing chores, you know, like, Oh yeah, let me at him. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. Yeah. So it's a, it's a normal thing, but it's, but it's made abnormal, like that there's some root to it that we need to get to. And that was the hardest thing for me, 100%. You hit, you hit the nail on the head there. Okay. Wow. And, you know, you mentioned um, this idea, you must have a transgression that's preventing you from kind of seeing something, seeing why, right. Um, that's very Scientology. You oh, know. yeah, absolutely. I actually did some research on... Scientology. Oh, that's another another thing, another big transgression that I did. And this is actually, if, if you don't mind, I can kind of jump into this. Yeah, please. Very interesting. So mm -hmm. I guess I'm trying to keep with the timeline, but I, I was probably about 16 and I came across this website and it was basically a website questioning everything about Amazon. And I brought this up to my mom and my mom 
brought me to the boss lady, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, no, I was like, I've been here before. No, but this this time they basically didn't do any of the gaslighting or anything like that. Well, they did after the fact, but the first thing was discredit, right? Discredit. So they were immediately like, oh, this guy is crazy. He, we actually sued him for slander and won the lawsuit. His legal document saying that it's not true. They basically just went right into trying to discredit what I read. And it was interesting because instead of focusing on me, they immediately went to the discredit, which they've never done that before. And then after that, of course, they went into the, you know, the whole thing of like, okay, you obviously have some serious transgressions. It's like, they literally told me that I'm trying to find things on Avatar that are bad, that enable me to, to not commit to it and not find myself, you know, and they went into this whole thing. And I'm like, guys, I just wanted to know what this is about. Like, I'm not saying I believe it. I'm not saying I don't like, I'm not saying it's real or not. I just wanted to have a conversation and know what's up because someone put this out there. I just wanted to talk, you know, and that was the weirdest thing. It was just so intense. You know? I mean, I, I wonder, did it make you wonder at the time or make you feel it was kind of suspicious that. Oh, hundred percent. Oh yeah. Cause at this point, this was like after, after that first kind of, you know, thing where I was like starting to question. So then after I read this, it definitely furthered my, my sense of questioning because I'm like some of what was written was obviously from an angry uh, voice but also some of it made a lot of sense and so I still didn't you know I decided I guess after that point I decided that I'm not going to try to get answers I'm not going to try to like prove anything or like try to discredit I basically said I'm going to have an open mind from here on out you know I said something important to my mom and I think there is some value within it so I continued to go and I continued to go to courses and I had a great time still hanging with my friends, but I did it with a, a more detached sense of like, this is just another perspective on things, but it's not real. It's not fact. And I've continued that way ever since. And that's why I think it was a lot easier for me to process everything when mom left because I never got that attached, you know? You know, here you go to your mom, you share something with her. She then speaks to other people about it or wants you to speak to other people about it. What was the reason for that as opposed to her sitting down with you and trying to explore it with you privately? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think she, so she did, she did talk with me privately and she would let me, she, she would always kind of hear me out. Yeah. I think that's, it's important because I, I remember her always doing that. So she would, she would give me the space to kind of talk first and I would basically tell her how I felt. And then she would always bring me to somebody to talk about. So I don't think she wanted to handle those things because I mean, I, it's all speculation, but I'm just assuming that they probably told her, like if anyone raises concerns, bring us, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm assuming, but she would give me the space to talk first. But yeah, every time though, any, any, anything like that, she would always bring to their attention. And I think too, because I, with her, I was more open to kind of voicing my, my challenges, you know what I mean? So when I tell my mom, you know, I would say like, okay, look, I read this. Here's the things that I'm kind of skeptical about. Here's the things that I don't agree with. And then with the boss lady, I would just say, here's things I read. I, I want to talk, I want to have a conversation, but I wouldn't necessarily voice those things mainly. So I didn't have to get into that whole mental battle, you know, about me and my transgressions and all that. I think you're right that there is this sense that, um, or, or teaching really that, you know, if people have questions, yes, you can talk to them. And then eventually you need to have them go to higher ups to get their questions answered. Sometimes, honestly, it happens because people within a group who are not the leaders of it don't necessarily always know how to answer those questions. Because they don't really understand the system sometimes, and they don't know why it's run the way it's run at times. And so mm, they do need to defer to the people in charge, which, you know, I see a lot with people who say, I was involved in a group for decades, uh, but I never felt like I had true mastery over it because there was always sort of this mystery and questions I couldn't answer that only other people could answer. Absolutely. And I think that that was the the biggest thing that hit me when, you know, when my mom decided to leave is that she shared with me things that she never shared before. And so 
back in the day, she put on this very, very strong and very powerful face of like, this is what's right. And she was so confident in them, to me at least, you know, towards me, that I believed her. And so if I had known that she was feeling some of the same things I was, but she was just afraid to voice them, then I would have been so, I would have been so much more understanding of her. And so I think that, that I can say with certainty is the fault of Avatar. And they, they put her in this position of fear that impacted our relationship because it caused us to not be honest with each other, you know? And I wish we could have been there for each other and I'm on a more real level because feelings were there, you know? I just had no idea. So I wonder also if there were long stretches of time that you you didn't get to see her and how long were those stretches of time and what was that like for you? My mom is a brilliant, brilliant woman when it comes to getting what she wants. And so even as early as like 14, so my, she was on the phone like all day, every day. She would be talking to people nonstop. She would be out meeting people. Like she was so committed to this and that's why she was so successful there. But even at 14 years old, I would tell her like, look, I'm not going to be paying you for this. Like you're paying to take, you're paying them and you're doing all the work. I'm like, look at what you're able to do. Why not like build your own business and like take all this energy and effort. And like, I would talk to her about it all the time but she would shut it down. Cause I think it was to her, it was against, you know, to her, it was a transgression to even think that. And I didn't realize that at the time though. So that in itself caused some friction. Cause I was like, mom, like, what are you doing? Like, you gotta, gotta do this, make some money, like do your thing, you know, but do it for yourself. And she wouldn't entertain that. And so it's back to, to more to your main, main question about like the time of things. Yeah. She was gone, like at least you know, nine days every month or two. And, uh, you know, every month, every other month. So she was gone often. And this was like when she was at the height of her, you know, her time there. And I was in high school it kind of felt at that point just normal to me. Right. Okay. So a lot of people have never heard of Avatar. Uh, it stays under the radar. This is not meant at all uh, to have you slander the group, but just to, if you can say how it's billed for, to people and from your experience, how it's different than the way it's billed. The best way I can put it is if you have couple thousand bucks to burn and you want to do a really deep 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 dive into yourself i have no problem with people going to take that course because that course in itself can give you some good stuff it really can but but only do it with complete open mind that it's just another perspective where things start to get bad is when you go on right because the tools have value but the way that they get you into this belief of saving the planet and creating this, you know, this enlightened planet together and the way that they kind of grasp you and, and, and make you believe that you're, you know, super important. That's when things start to get bad. So, so I mean, I've, you know, I've worked in finance and so I've been reading a lot of like finance books and just things, you know, listening to audiobooks on like success. And so I'm listening to a lot of different people and they're all telling their story of how they made their money, right? And so for me, every story is completely different. Every path that they took is completely different, but they all got to the same goal. So I don't say, okay, one way is right. I have to do it this way. You know, I take a look at each and pick and choose from what I like, you know, and that's the only way that I would ever suggest, you know, if you're going to do any of these, these self-improvement or self-empowerment courses, do it with an open mind like that, you know. It sounds to me like you didn't really have somewhere to go, even though you had people you could talk to who listened, but you, you had kind of this circular dialogue because you would have it with your mom and it's great that you could have that, but then you'd go to boss lady. <laughs> I love that. Term. Um, and I think probably trying to get your questions answered. And I have a feeling sometimes when you left having conversations with her, you potentially felt worse about yourself rather than getting your questions answered. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, it made me, it made me feel wrong for having these questions. You know, yeah, I didn't like that because again, it all came down to me feeling powerless because it almost 
created this situation of like like me against them which is weird because that was never my intention you know like legitimately anytime I've brought up any sort of concerns it was just to have a conversation that was it I wanted to know if there was any you know I wanted to just talk and find out what this means but then it turned into me being trying to get them you know and that was the weirdest thing like I never felt that way even now I don't feel that way you know like I'm I'm not you know like which is the strangest thing like I'm not out to get them or anything like I just have questions and now I'm voicing them you know and that's it (laughs) yeah you know the the more of the kind of paranoid person and the person who also wants to deflect doesn't want to have to explain or justify they will not hear a question as a question they'll hear it as being questioned Mm, like an accusation yeah it's an accusation it's an interrogation and what's wrong with you and it and it has this sort of feeling of the how dare you's connected to it and you're just wanting to understand exactly exactly because that that's something that i think i was in a unique position to because i was young the young mind is super inquisitive you know like we don't understand things like adults do so we want to know and so i think that being young was one of the reasons why I had all these questions and growing up in it, especially. And so, yeah, they, they looked at me like I was trying to discredit them, but no, I was just a young kid trying to understand, you know, looking back and whatever else you want to share, you know, just your, your insights about the after effects of this or, or what you've learned from it all. So yeah, looking back, like first and foremost, I'm so proud of my mom, like for real, I I am. Cause we've always had, you know, even though we had these these problems, like these, these things that were a result of the way that, you know, she was feeling and then the, the commitment she had to give, we always had a really good connection. You know what I mean? Like we were always very close despite that. So for me to see her like realize all of the things that I tried to voice, like I imagine for the last like eight years, I've been raising these subtle concerns and they would never let me talk about it. They, they would discredit me every time. To see her now finally look back and say like, oh my God, I kind of realized these things. Validating, yeah, but also beyond that, like, I'm just happy to see her get out of it. And I'm going to tell you, like, she is kicking ass right now. Like, oh my God, like she's taking all of that energy I told you she had and all that time she put in the clients and she's doing it for herself and she's making great money and she's doing things finally and she's helping people but it's her way. It's doing things the way that she feels good about, you know, and not the way that she was told, but the way that she knows just because she's gone through so much, you know, like she has this understanding that very few people get, you know, because they have to go through hell to get there, you know? But beyond that, like for me personally, I feel good because again, like the validation of just knowing that I wasn't crazy, like, you know, I wasn't just trying to get them, like, uh, you know, my concerns are real, yeah. But also, like, it's more because I never let it get to me that much. There's not necessarily my own emotional side, but it really comes down to, I know my mom will be like, okay, you know, in the future, like, I know that she's not gonna, like, as she get, gets older, I was concerned that she was going to be putting in these 60 hour work weeks for no pay. And I'm like, you know, that's not sustainable. And so to see her now not stuck in that just a big relief. Like, I'm so glad and I'm so happy for her. Yeah, there, there, a lot of people in groups like this and others really go broke and and are still held up to some standard. Like you were saying, you couldn't take another 30 minutes. And right, rightly, you said, um, I'm paying to be here. I'm volunteering. Like, you can give me this, you know? I mean, you've come out of it and I know it, it leaves an impact, but I'm, you know, you're doing well. And I just wonder, are you still in contact with any of the others who maybe didn't fare as well? You know, I, I'm not. So I haven't been in contact for a while. Cause like, I guess starting like in about 2018, 2017, I really started to like take a step back from it, you know? Cause I like, we, my, I moved to Florida, you know, with, with my mother. And she just went through a very hard thing. And, you know, so I saw how they treated her 
through this really hard time in her life. And I saw that she was still expected to work the same amount of time. And when she was going through this, it didn't seem like people were there for her the way that she was there for a complete stranger try to get them to come to the course. And the funny thing is my mom wasn't there for that stranger just because it, she wanted to get him to the course. She was there for that stranger because she genuinely cared. And that was the hardest thing for me to watch was that my mom gave like her all. I mean, you know, I was there with her when she was on the phone. I would hear her. I would see the way she was reacting, responding to these people. She would feel what they were feeling. She would give them her all. And, you know, that was tough. But yeah, it definitely, you know, yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> but, you know, and, and you bring up a good point, though, about how when you're really suffering, but the pressure is still on you to keep making good on your commitment and working as many hours and keeping kind of the machine well-oiled, you can start to wonder if they really care about you or if they just care about you working hard because then you're of value to them. That is a really hard, eye-opening moment. So just as we finish up, unless there was something else I was just going to ask you about, kind of the warning signs. If you, you know, there, there are people who, who listen to this podcast who share it with their kids and others who are kids themselves who have been raised in things or whose parents have gotten involved in things. And they, I think from your perspective, what are good things to watch out for that can let you know that maybe this isn't a healthy environment? Yeah. I mean, the best advice, I'll, I'll give advice for, for kids first. If, if anyone out there feels like their parents or even, you know, you yourself are involved in something that you have questions about, whatever it may be, there's no stupid questions, no dumb questions, no matter what. Like, if you have questions, go ask your parents. Like, seriously, just do it. Like, don't feel bad. Don't feel ashamed. Ask. No harm in that. Ask. And to parents, if your children come to you with questions, hear them out. Try to really hear them out and see where they're coming from. You know, don't shut them down just because you don't like the questions. Understand that they're asking that because they genuinely want to know, you know, they're, they're having these questions. And especially as a kid, like they're learning, they're learning about life and these are pivotal moments in their lives. And so if you just shut down these questions, they'll continue having them and it'll grow into something more, something worse. You know, you got to have just open communication. That's it. That's the key. Love it. Okay. So I want to thank you for being in touch also, you know, with me beforehand and just sharing this idea that it would be of value to hear your perspective, the child's perspective, even though you're not a child anymore. But I think that it's, it is very important. And I think it's powerful to have it from uh, through your eyes and to see also how you were treated when really you have what I see as the gift of a curious mind. And that helps people, I think, learn and keep themselves safe in the world. And, you know, if that threatens some one or some group, then it is good to wonder about why that is. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I'm a big believer. You should never be afraid to question things or have, you know, have an open mind. Like, cause that, that's taken me down some fantastic roads in my life, separate from that part completely, just having that, you know, that open mind and, and wanting to learn and, and kind of grow, you know, like even despite all the avatar stuff, yeah, it's uh, been a wild ride, but thank you so much for doing this. I think what you're doing is awesome. You know, you're really giving people a voice that sometimes don't feel like they have one. So that's, that's really cool. Oh, it's my pleasure. And it was an honor to have you on. Awesome. Thanks. Rachel. Okay. Be well. Right before the one more thing before you go, if you want to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash indoctrination and become a monthly supporter of the show. You can also become a one-time supporter of the show if you go to our PayPal. Instructions are going to be in the bylines for the show and also in a further mm, recording on the show. But please know that if you have any trouble getting onto Patreon or figuring out how to make your way through it, just be in touch. You can always email me and I'm happy to respond to any of the questions you have. Thank you so much for your support.
And now, one more thing before you go. Dimitri was very open about what it was like for him growing up in this group. I found some of the things that he talked about to be so interesting, especially becoming an instructor at age 12, which says something certainly about how kids in groups like this can sometimes be given responsibility that is beyond their years. Sometimes they really love that sense that they're trusted and that they're being treated sort of like young adults and that they get to take on a role that makes them feel proud of themselves. What's also true is that 12-year-olds don't have the life experience and the teacher training to be able to be the kinds of instructors that you would find out in the world. So what makes it okay within a group like this? It's really very interesting. I also think that it puts pressure on kids at a very young age to have to perform like adults and to have that sense of responsibility. I think it's taking the content kind of casually, even though I think that for Dimitri, he took it very seriously. But again, there are a lot of things that you're able to be taught by people who are older and who have had teacher training that you might not be able to be taught in the same way by a 12-year-old. I think, you know, one of the experiences that a lot of people have when they're born and raised in cults is that they feel that age really didn't get factored into the decisions that were made for them and made about them. And they were given responsibility beyond their years, but also pressure beyond their years. And I'm so happy for Dimitri now that he gets a chance to make his own decisions and carve out his own schedule to a certain degree and kind of further his own goals and his own self-expression through his art, etc. I want to be able to talk a little bit about something that he mentioned about things being given a certain meaning. Usually within kind of cultic groups, things are given a meaning that is negative, that somehow you're up to something, somehow you're doing something on purpose, either to harm the group in some way, to shame the person in charge, to harm yourself in some way, to keep yourself from receiving all the gifts of this place, and that there is some meaning that's given where you have to kind of doubt yourself and doubt your intentions. And even if you don't start to doubt yourself and doubt your intentions, you know when the meaning is given to you in a negative way that the other people are doubting you and doubting your intentions and not believing you that maybe what you were doing was very innocent. Dimitri, on a number of occasions, was trying to use his critical thinking and using his brain capacity which was something fostered by the group. But when he used it to collect data about the group itself or to explore when things didn't quite make sense or they didn't feel quite right, that's when he was made to seem like he was not acting in a trustworthy way. He was not acting with integrity. But all he was doing was using the skills that he was told to use. But once again, in controlling environments and also a place where sometimes there are fragile egos, you can use that kind of critical eye, but only on everything else and only on everyone else, not on the group and not on the leadership. And when you have that, of course, you have this dichotomy. You have a system that says, not so fast, mm -mm, don't use that on us. We won't be able to tolerate it. And if you do it, we're going to turn it back on to you and make you feel like there's something wrong with you for even questioning things or even researching us in this way. It's such a double standard. And so the idea of things being given meaning is a tricky thing because uh, one of the major problems is that if a meaning is given to you by somebody else about something that you've done, like researching the group in some way or questioning one of the teachings, the meaning is going to be filtered through the person saying it to you or 
the group and its philosophy, the meaning is usually not accurate. And it is something that can leave you if you are wanting to be a good and honest person who is also seen well by the people around you, you're going to feel like you're really on thin ice. You're going to feel like you really have to watch yourself that maybe you are doing things for a negative reason. And again, even if you don't think you are, now you'll know that the people around you think you are. The other problem with something being given a certain kind of meaning is that sometimes it doesn't have any. The whole idea when people say, you know, everything happens for a reason, uh, I agree with that. I think everything happens for a reason. I don't think it's necessarily a cosmic or psychological reason, um, a spiritual reason, something that is, you know, kind of in the ether where we get to see, oh, you know, what kind of meaning this has and what kind of reason it has behind it. I think, for example, when kids are involved in cultic groups and they are just kids and they're just doing what they do, their behavior is given a certain meaning that's negative and they grow up feeling like bad people and they grow up feeling like they can't be trusted and they grow up feeling judged. I know a lot of kids were very young and remember spilling things when they were young because they hadn't developed control over their um, their fine motor or gross motor potential that that gets developed throughout life. And they would be told that they were bad. They would be told that they were being um, disrespectful. They would be told that was the devil. They would be told they're doing it on purpose. And so I think same thing happening with Dimitri, that some of the things he did very innocently were given this negative meaning. And it can leave you really thinking, again, that there's something wrong with you and with your intention. So when people say to me, everything happens for a reason, like if you drop something, maybe that was a sign that um, that wasn't something you should be holding or that maybe you maybe someone stole it and that's why you dropped it. Or maybe there was something in it that was toxic to you and you're delivering it to someone, but maybe they didn't deserve it. And there are all these meanings given, but maybe you dropped it because your hands were slippery or because someone bumped into your elbow and knocked it out of your hand. So again, everything does happen for a reason, but sometimes it's not a meaningful reason. It's just a reason. So the next time someone says to you, I think, well, let's see what that means. Why did you do what you did? And why are you asking these questions? And maybe there's something that you've done wrong. And in a very kind of Scientology way, what crimes have you committed? Which is usually sort of this question that they tell people and get into people's face with um, if you're kind of criticizing the group. And Avatar being partially based on Scientology, that's why I'm using that example. I think what you want to do is take a moment and say, maybe there isn't a reason. But maybe there is a reason that this person is needing to give what I'm doing a certain kind of meaning. What is it that they want me to feel about myself? And why do they need me to feel that about myself? See if you can turn it. And instead of questioning the meaning and the reason for yourself, question the meaning and the reason that people are making you question the meaning and the reason. I know it can seem very trippy, but I think so many times the arrow is pointed at the victim in these situations when it really needs to be directed outward. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore Indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com. 
forward slash indoctrination.